Well, good morning. My name is Philip Brand. I'm the pastor here. The lady leading worship this morning is my wife. That's Nicole, just in case you don't know that information. Um, I did meet somebody recently this past week, asked them where they went to church, and they said, Farmington Baptist. And I said, really? And they said, yeah. I said, you know, I really like the pastor there. I really do. And they said, yeah. And I said, uh, so what, do you know his name? Couldn't tell me his name. Good t- <laughs> Come on, let that catch up a little bit. Good t- yeah, good tell me. So, you know, hopefully, maybe, maybe they just had a moment where, you know, couldn't think of name, didn't know what it looked like. I thought it was funny. Yeah. It was one of those moments I probably just should have said, yeah, I'm the pastor there, but I thought that would be a little too embarrassing, so I didn't do it. <clears throat> um, I, was, I was looking, can I have a little more light in the room? I was looking um, this week and ran across something that I thought was funny, and it's kind of a daddish type thing, dad joke type thing, but I thought it was brilliant. So here it is. Unfortunately, we had to amputate three fingers on your right hand. Oh no, will I still be able to write with it? Possibly, but I wouldn't count on it. (laughs) All right, Genesis chapter 11 is where we are this morning. We are starting a new series called Recalculating, and it's on the life of Abraham in Scripture. And so we're going to start with um, chapter 11 in Genesis. And there are uh, three things that I would like to tell you before we dive into this particular text. Um, First of all, Abraham is the first patriarch in the Bible. It's the first one you come to. There are really only 15 of those patriarchs, and you'll have to look up to see where their names are and whatever. Only 15 patriarchs, but he's, he's the first one. The second thing you need to know about um, Abraham is he moved around a lot. He's what's called a nomad. I, I think I'm saying that word right, a nomad. They just moved from place to place, set a tent here for a little while, went to this place over here. So he moved around a lot. And the third thing... And this is something that I really wanted to do a message on, but God just didn't lead me in that direction, but I really wanted to do it, Um, is he is the second shepherd mentioned in Scripture so far. So Genesis has Abel, who was a shepherd, and he was killed by his brother. And then the second one is Abraham. Now, then I started thinking about, like, um, major shepherds in Scripture, and there's really three major shepherds in Scripture. It is Abraham... It is King David, and then it's Jesus. And so I just thought that would have made a great, a great sermon. Had, had a couple of points that I thought would, would be really good, but God didn't lead me in that direction, so we're not doing that one. But I thought maybe I would just mention it, because I think that's interesting kind of fact about Abraham. So now we are going to have some fun with names. <clears throat> okay? We're going to start in verse 10. This is what it says. These are the generations of Shem. So Shem is the uh, oldest son of Noah. And you know that story about the flood. So Shem is one of the three. So uh, these are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad. Yeah. Two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years. 
and had other sons and daughters. And when Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Selah, or Shelah, sorry. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah uh, 403 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Eber lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. That is the first pirate of the Bible. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg um, 430 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Rehu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Rehu 305 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Rehu had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Rehu lived after he fathered Sarag 207 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Sarag had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sarag lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Nahor lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. And Terah had lived 70 years uh, he fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. So that is the line of Abraham. He comes from the line of Seth, all right? And then we get to verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. So Lot is Abraham's nephew. We need to keep, keep that in mind. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives in the name of, the name of Abraham's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now, Sarah was barren. She had no child. Now, that's also key. So, we have Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, and we have Sarah, I mean, yeah, Sarah, who cannot have children. She, her womb is closed, okay? And then Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, and his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Cana. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were um, 205 years, and Terah died in Hera. So a couple, a couple of things about this. First of all, a lot of, times, a lot of times we talk in terms of Abraham left the land of Ur and followed God to the land of Canaan. However, what we see from this particular text in Genesis is that Terah, his father, decided to leave Ur and go to Haran. That, that's what we see here. And so Terah's intent was to leave Ur and go to Canaan land and live there. That was his intent. That was his goal. If you want to see that on the map, it's right here. Um, Ur of the Chaldeans is right here in the right-hand corner. And all the way at the top, up north, is Haran. And that's the two routes that they could have possibly taken to get to Haran. And so Terah, for some reason, decided to leave the land of Ur, and he took his whole family with him. And that brings us to our first point, okay? And this is it. 
Have you ever stopped short of a goal that you've made for yourself? Have you ever stopped short for a goal you made for yourself? And so here's Terah. His goal is to make it to Canaan land. What we don't know is that if God called him out of the land of Ur or not. I don't think he did. I think he just wanted to go to Canaan. I don't know. But he, he went, and uh, that was his goal to get to Canaan. But for some reason, he settled. And it wasn't because of age. It was for some other reason. We do not know what that reason is. But from time to time, you and I make goals in our life, and we only make it halfway. Sometimes that is a good thing. Because some goals are stupid. I know you're not supposed to say it, but some goals are stupid. For instance, let me give you a goal that I could possibly have that would be stupid. I have a goal of being an NBA basketball player. There are reasons that that is not a good idea and that is stupid. How about this one? I have a goal of playing in the Super Bowl one day. Look at my body. That is stupid. It, I, I, have, I have no like, like sports ability at all. I can shoot the basketball. The rock will go in every now and then because that's how we used to say it back in the 80s. Thank you. That's how we used to say it in the 80s. But yeah, I can, I can dribble, but I am no match for anybody that has any ability in sports. I am just not good. There are some goals that we make for ourselves in life that we just cannot achieve, and those goals are stupid. And when your goal is stupid, you switch goals. Because God has designed you to be a particular way with particular talents, and your talents might not be in the sports arena, but they might be in something else. And that is what you focus on. So I'm not talking about a goal that you're like, yeah, that was really dumb. I need to change that goal. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you know that you're designed to do something and you're really good at it, but you fall short of making it to your goal. You knew you could achieve it, but for some reason you stopped and you settled. You stopped and you settled because, <clears throat> I don't know, something happened in your life. Maybe, I don't know if you got lazy. I don't know if it was, it was just... Things just wasn't unfolding for you and life was happening to you rather than you creating life. But for some reason, you fell short of that goal. And my, my first point of this, if you've ever stopped short of a goal like that, it's time to pick the goal back up. Pick the goal back up. God has designed you to be who you are and given you gifts and abilities to make a positive impact in this world. And you need to pick that back up and start carrying the ball toward the goal line. You need to, you need to say, look, I fell short, but you know what? After today, I'm not going to do that. I'm leaving where I'm at, and I'm going to achieve that goal in my life because God has called me to it. And I'm here to tell you today that you are capable of doing that thing that God has called you to do. You are, you, you are able to do that thing that God has designed you to do. You are able to do it, regardless of what's happening in your life right now. You are designed to achieve that goal, so don't stop short. So here's, here's we, we continue the story in, in chapter 12. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'm going to show you land. So God's calling him. And I will make you a great nation. And get this, I will bless you and make your name great 
so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God chose Abraham. Now there's a discussion in church world and theological world about how God chooses and how he doesn't choose. And there's a camp that says that God chooses certain people to be saved and certain people to go to hell. And then there's a camp over here that says God has no choice in it. We just make the choices ourselves. Both of those positions are absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. But what we need to do instead of worrying about these positions, which by the way is titled Calvinism and Arminianism, in case you've heard that, we need to back up and we need to really look at what does the word of God say about God choosing. And so I cannot cover all the ins and outs of how God chooses and, and stuff today, but here's the little thing that I want us to walk out of here with. God chose Abraham not to exclude people, but to include people. God chose Abraham not to exclude people, but to include people. There are certain people that God chooses so that other people can be included in his redemptive plan. I'm good with that. He chose Abraham, and if you like Abraham, and if you're friends with Abraham, that means you are friends with God. If you're friends with God, you're friends with Abraham and his descendants. That means that you will be blessed. If you aren't friends with Abraham or his descendants, you are cursed and you are not a friend of God. By the way, that goes into play even today. I'm really thankful that our country is st still has a friendship with Israel. I'm still thankful for that. I don't know where that's going to go in the future, but at least for now, we are supportive of Israel. And when you're supportive of Israel, you're friends with Abraham, and God blesses a nation that does that. So back up from here, there, there is God chooses people so that other people can be included. That's why he chooses people. If he didn't choose some people, there would be no way that we would know that there is a God. Right? There would be no way. Abraham and his descendants let us know exactly where the Messiah will be born. That's the whole purpose of that. So Abraham is chosen. There wasn't something special about Abraham, because let me tell you, he could have chosen some other people. There's other people he could have chosen. He just chose to choose Abram, and that is what he went with. So that said, let's go to verse 4. <clears throat> it says this, so Abraham went. Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of uh, Moriah, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So here's the next point of the message. Okay? Faith is moving when you don't have all the details. 
Faith is moving when you don't have all the details. There are a lot of believers that are what I call low-risk-taking believers. If we, don't have the, if we don't have all the details, if we don't have everything that God's calling us to do, if we haven't tried to think it out and work it out, every single detail, we are not going to move because we're not going to move until we have all the details. I have friends of mine, and I talk to them about this. So this is not something that I'm saying here that I haven't talked to them about. We, I have friends of mine that, that they want to take steps for their church, but they, they're doing all this research. They know that they're called to do this particular ministry, but they're doing all this research to try to figure out how to do it and if someone else has done it and if they've been successful so that we can learn from them. And, and once they do this whole process, it's three or four years down the road and they decide to move because now they feel like it's low risk because they've learned everything and they've missed their opportunity to be impactful in their community. And the reason that they miss it is because while they're doing research everywhere, the culture has moved on, and now the thing that they're trying to do to reach the community is no longer relevant to the community. Do you all understand what I'm talking Yeah. There are Christians that do the same thing. There are Christians that they know they're called to do something, but they want it to be low risk, and so they don't move. They talk about it. They read about it. They, they talk about and talk about and talk about and read about and read about and read about, and they never actually step forward to do anything about it. They don't step forward and actually get involved. And God, every time he calls someone to do something, he is not worried about the risk. You are. In fact, all the risk he has already calculated for you. He already has an answer for the risk that you think that you have. He already has the risk that you have in your mind already worked out in the future. What God expects us to do is when he calls us for us to step out into obedience, even though we don't know where we are going or what we're going to do. Abraham, with the wisdom of the day, should have taken a little more time before he left. Let me explain why. Abraham had a big group of people he was responsible for. You see, we get the concept that it was just Abraham and Sarah going to the Canaan land. You know, there's a Yalabic road and they're just holding hands, just swinging hands and they're, they're going along, right? That wasn't the way that that was. Abraham had a massive amount of people. He had servants. He had shepherds that were, that were helping him with his livestock. He had, he had family members. Lot was a huge group and part of that. So he had a big family. In fact, if you want to compare the size, it would be kind of like the population of Farmington moving somewhere. I mean, it was almost that kind of radius. Not Moxville. Farmington, okay? So if you look at the houses around here and you start to add up, I mean, it, it, was, it was 100, 200 people that were going to go on this journey down to Canaan land. And so, but, but Abraham was like, okay, let's pack up and go. His wife might have said, have you thought this through? Do you know which path we're going on? How are we going to pack up this and that and the other? And she was probably all the detailed person. I'm making this up about Sarah, right? But when you... 
have a visionary, and you usually have somebody that's organized, married to each other. But nonetheless, you know, it, no, it, God called us to go, so we're packing up right now, and we're leaving. And ladies and gentlemen, we miss out on what God has for us sometimes because we're so concerned about the details and the risk that it prevents us from stepping forward. Now, I'm going to move over here a minute. <clears throat> I do think that you probably, in fact, you should, think through your decision before you jump. I give myself two weeks, a time limit. If I feel like God is calling me something, I don't just jump right into it. I, I step back, I pray about it, I try to figure out how to do it, and I give myself two weeks before I make a decision whether or not it is really God or if it's just me and I just had a great day one day and thought of a great idea and it wasn't God at all, right? So you do take a little bit of time to gain wisdom. But what I've found is at the end of two weeks, you step out and you don't always know the steps, but as you go, you learn as you go and you figure it out as you go. If you're trying to figure out each step, the journey is just not as fun. Maybe you think I'm crazy. But Abraham left and had a lot of experiences because he didn't figure out all the details. And so when God says, go, you go. And when God says, jump, you ask him how high. And you go with it. That is faith. So let's go to the next one. Faith is looking for the impossible. Faith is looking for the impossible. Um, let me define impossible. Impossible is something that God has promised that seems to be impossible. So you look for God to move in his promises, even though you think that his promises are very impossible. Like they won't come to be because they're impossible. So with that in mind, I want you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Abraham's already on his journey. He's into his life. This is into his life a little bit. And this is what 18 verse 1 says. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I had found favor in your sight, do not pass your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel, a little piece of bread, that you may refresh yourself. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, Three sets of fine flour knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, and a tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And he took curds and milk and, and the calf that he had prepared <clears throat> and set it before them and stood by them under the tree uh, while, they, while they ate. Now, I couldn't preach this message either, but I just want to mention it. Abraham is a very generous person. It's very generous. He tells him he's going to give him a little morsel of bread, but Abraham overdoes it. He, he goes into, 
Sarah's kitchen and he says, hey, we need three things of bread. I'm going to get a calf. Kills the calf, slaughters it, prepares it, takes it out. So this is a feast rather than just a morsel of bread. There's a lesson in there of, of like generosity, uh, especially with visitors. So verse 9, it says, And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him, because that's how all good women do. <laughs> now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. So she laughed. And it's at this point that a lot of people give Sarah a hard time. Sarah, hard time because she didn't believe. Sarah, hard time because God told her in the past. Sarah, hard time because she laughed that she was going to have a child. But what we forget is over in uh, chapter 17, she wasn't the only one that laughed at this. Listen to this. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah. Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He laughed, and he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Let me tell you just in, in everyday, like everyday what we would use, um, God, things aren't working anymore, and this is impossible. Hey, it's in the Bible. Okay? It's in the Bible. We're good. Things aren't working anymore. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm 100 years old, and she's 90, and she's way past the childbearing years. She's had the hot flashes, the low flashes, the medium flashes, all the flashes, and she is done. In fact, she's back to not having any flashes at all, enjoyed the weather. What are you about to do to her, right? There is no way that we can have this. This is so funny. Uh, Lord, Lord, you're just so funny, man. You're just so funny. And so he laughed, she laughed, because it was an impossible thing. So here is the point. God only begins to work when you have ran out of your resources. God starts to work when you are at the end of what you can do. That is when God steps into the picture and he does the impossible for you. That's when God steps in the picture and he creates some type of miracle that you cannot come up with because you can't do it yourself. God, I, 
I can, God can. There are things that you can do. And there are things that God can do. And you and I, if we're going to walk by faith, need to know the difference. There are things that I can do that I'm expected to do by God. God expects me to do some things. And then God is going to take it from there. So, what can I do? Well... I can pray. I can read my Bible. I can come to church. I can watch my language during the week and give him honor and glory with everything that I say. I can be faithful to him when I'm angry. I can be faithful to him when I'm happy. I can be faithful to him in my activities. I can have something bad going on, and I'm not really sure how in the world I'm going to get through this day, but I can trust God that he's going to get me through the day. I can have have negative stuff just hit me over and over and over again, and I can say, Lord, I'm just being attacked, and I know you are for me, so I'm going to continue to trust in you. Lord, I'm going to continue to walk with you when I don't feel like walking with you. I'm going to continue to talk to you when I don't feel like talking to you. I'm going to pray for my enemies. I'm going to do everything that I can do. Because God expects you to walk with him in the good times and in the bad times, in the trials, in the mediocre times, in the times that you're not happy. God expects you to walk with him. He expects you to say, I don't understand that verse in the Bible, but I believe it. I don't, I don't really like that action, but I'm going to do it because you told me to do it. He expects you to do what you can do. And then what happens is as you are faithful to God, God does what only he can do. But he doesn't always show you what he can do. He doesn't always show you when he's going to do it. He keeps it hidden. But God can do everything that he has promised to you. He can do it all. He can do it. So when it comes to that relationship that you've prayed for and you want it to turn out a particular way, God can work it out. But when he works it out, he's going to work it out to what is best for you concerning all the details of what is happening around you. Does that make sense? So he works it out for good. And then all of a sudden a nugget comes up and there's a miracle that happens. And you grab a hold of that. And what you do with that miracle is you can take that miracle yourself and you can put it into or right beside of what you can do. Right? Because God did it and he's given it to you. It can't go into I can can (laughs) because you didn't do it but it can go right beside it. And so when you're praying and you're like, oh my, oh my, they told me I had cancer. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to the doctor. I'm going to get the surgery. I'm going to go through the treatments. I'm doing everything. But man, it doesn't seem to be helping at all. And then over here, God's like, well, just keep doing that. Stay faithful. Keep praying because I can heal you. When you go into surgery, 
And I love doctors. I love doctors. But when you go into surgery, you have made the decision that there was something wrong, so you went to the doctor, you did everything that he told you to do, and now you're going to have this surgery. And so you go into the surgery, and that's all you can do. But what God can do is make the surgery successful. That's not something that's under your control. It's not something that you can do, but it's what God does for you. We need to realize what God can do and live by that and do everything that we can do and live our lives by faith. You cannot change your children. You can't. You can't change your friends, but you can pray for them. And you can pray that things will come into the life that they will change. Only God can change your family, your friends, the people. Um, the first miracle that God ever did for me was when I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. It's the first miracle. It's the best one, I think. It's the best miracle. Um, I've... I've thought about this for years. I, I cannot explain to you with words the change that happened inside of me in that moment. I can't explain that. I wish I could. I've been thinking about it. I'm a little older now. I've been thinking about it for decades, I could say. Trying to figure out the right words to say to describe this change that is inside of me. But, but I can't do it. The only way I can do it is say that it was a miracle of God. God saved my soul because Someone witnessed to me, someone gave me the gospel, but God is the one who drew me to salvation and saved my soul. It was a God can moment. So you might have, you might have people that you're praying for their salvation. You're praying, man, I, I'm praying for their salvation. I'm praying that God will get a hold of them. I'm praying that they will receive Jesus. You keep praying, you keep witnessing. Only God can save them. Only God can draw them to salvation. The Holy Spirit is who draws people to salvation. And it's a moment in time that those people are drawn in. It is something only God can do. Only God can do. So Abraham steps out in faith, doesn't know where he's going. There are no children. He doesn't know how this is going to work out. He's been promised that he will uh, be the father of a great nation doesn't know how that's going to work out, but he's doing everything that he can do. And God provides the miracle. So, not to get weird, but turn to verse chapter 21. Abraham and Sarah talked about the birds and the bees. And here's what happened. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. That's a miracle. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who 
would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I'm going to just close with this. When you've done everything you can and you're worn out, and the miracle comes, it's a time of joy and laughter. It's a time of joy and laughter. You've already shed your tears. You've already done a ton of stuff. You know from all of this and the faith that you have um, nurtured and molded as you did all this stuff, you know from that faith that God has now shined on you and brought everything that you prayed for to an end. And it's a time of rejoicing and laughter. And if you've ever been at this moment, you know what I'm talking about, right? And God promises this. God promises to work out everything for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things are worked out for good. All things that you're trying to get done, God has a miracle in your future to accomplish good in your life. Amen? All right, so that's the message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.